We made the best decision that we could, as always, based upon the data and based upon uh, projections and modeling. Uh, we felt You're shaking your head, Kenzo? Well, she said, like, made the best decision we can, as we always do. They don't. She just does, like, even it, even a good mayor shouldn't be that fucking arrogant. Like, she, she can at least, I mean, like, I think she's batting, you know, zero. But, you know, she can at least make the argument maybe half the time she's making good decisions. But she's got such big lawyer brain, like literally like big law makes people into these kind of people. Love your oh, face. Yeah, I'm looking at it and that looks like it should be good. All right, Kenzo, how you, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Leftist and chill. Thank you. Yeah. We, uh, as you know, we invite guests on in the spirit of building left unity, strength and power. You're the the winningest, or the, or as I like to call the championist champion. <laughs> um, my most returning guest, um, friend of mine, and we get to make the show meet the left together. We do that every Sunday night. Uh, we got a bang up, uh, bang up panel for this next week as well. Oh yeah, uh, we got two members of DSA who are both running for um, national leadership. The national. Uh, political committee. Um, that's uh, Laura Gabby, um, who uh, is a member of the Bread and Roses Caucus, and uh, Austin Gonzalez from Machate, um, Machate y uh, Mate, uh, who also um, has been on the uh, NPC for the last two years. He heads the International Committee. Um, so that's going to be great. And uh, also Amy C. Uh, from Twitch. So it's going to be a big show. It's going to be fun. Uh, and folks, if you don't know about the show, it's a small leftist panel and it's not a debatey panel. Mm. There are other people who yell at their cameras uh, and, and do debates. And that's not what we do. Yeah. Last week was a lot of fun. Oh, good. good yeah. To be back. Jamie Peck, Ravana and Gabby from Beef Country. It was a really great lineup as always. Uh, um, there's There's always really good vibes. And despite not you know, people not always agreeing 100% of the time. There's, it, it's it's not so fucking cringe and debatey and annoying yeah. and it's it's totally tolerable. And we had a great, uh, a great chat this past week. I looked over, there were a ton of people watching and that's sort of what I, what I saw and hoped the show would become eventually a nice little chill Sunday night place to gather around mm -hmm. and uh, each week sort of sit around the fire as it were. That's great because everyone listens to each other too. So like they actually are addressing the actual argument. So when they do get into a little back and forth, it is in good faith. Imagine that. <laughs> you will have to imagine it because you don't see it that often. No. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's always been a, it, it's been a joy working on the show with you and I'm looking forward to oh, doing a here. lot more and it's just, uh, it's, a, it's just a good thing, right? So Kenzo, well, fuck, we call this leftist and chill. That's what's on the screen. But I, I sort of this is actually sort of a, a side project, isn't it? This is a, I just realized this is perhaps the first coming together of, uh, of um, the, the idea that we've been tossing around, the Chicago boys. Is this what this mm -hmm. is? Because we're going to be talking about Chicago today. Oh, yeah. All right. So I need a new graphic. Well, I always for the bring Chicago corner. into the, whenever we're yeah. discussing politics, because I think we have everything here. Ooh. Everything you need, a lot of stuff you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is what it is. And it's it's just the the corruption is so naked here that like people don't hide it the way they do in other cities. So it's like, you know, it's it's like you actually get to dissect the cadaver and watch it in real time. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, reading it in a book. So you know, like yeah. Lori Lightfoot right now. I keep telling people in New York this Eric Adams guy is going to lead exactly like she does. Be careful. And especially a place like New York that has just so much more like finance um, capitalism happening than Chicago does. Like there's a lot of, you know, when you wield that much power in a city like that, that has so much money in it. Um, you know, I think that Chicago may have been the trial run for that. So I, I hope they're organizing. <laughs> um, today, I think uh, I wanted to talk maybe passingly about the Olympics, yeah. uh, just sort of as a means to talk about Lollapalooza. Uh, but mainly talking about COVID. Um, and uh, also uh, what that has to do with you getting back into the schools. There's a little one. 
Uh, perhaps a couple other things uh, uh, locally, uh, Chicago-wise. Uh, uh, what happened with Quorum at the Chicago DSA? Mm -hmm. I, uh, member of the DSA, I have no idea. Uh, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Is it my fault? You, we were one short of I mean, quorum, it Dan. Depends on what you think. You know, it depends okay. on what you wanted to have happen at that meeting. It was your oh. fault, maybe. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe I power played you. Okay, and I didn't realize. Okay, um, and then of course we want to talk about what it would take to get the Chicago, you know, Chicago's most dangerous podcaster um, mm -hmm. to uh, to get to, you know, what it would take to convince them to run for governor. Governor never happening, but we'll, we can talk about running for office, but Bad governor attitude. specifically right. is not happening. I do not want to go to jail. What if we could rule I, I say, that out? I don't say that even just as a joke. I say that as you enter that office and there's already a bunch of corruption happening and you either have to like figure out a way to keep that going without having it touch you or you become part of that corruption. And yeah. um, I, I, you know, I'm personally happy to have someone else in that seat. Than me. <laughs> do you don't want to be in the fire I appreciate Alan's uh, hype on that. Okay. All right. So uh, how about then we dig into uh, to, to to COVID? How about we just sort of talk mm. about that? I I, I also um, I think uh, y'all will find out very quickly if you weren't watching the channel before Kenzo jumped on here. But I, I'm not really into doing these events. I don't think they're a good idea, especially as we're yeah. seeing some of the things that we're seeing. Um. Uh, I would love to see line go down, um, but unfortunately, that only applies to my income. <laughs> uh, and the the line that's going up, we're starting to see in Illinois and and, and elsewhere, is the is the COVID infection numbers. Okay, so mm -hmm. um, I don't think they should do Olympics. Are you watching oh, the Olympics no. at all? No, um, I usually watch weightlifting, and then, yeah. but I hate the Olympics. Like it's. The Olympics are just a – the IOC in many ways acts as like an international monetary fund, you know, one of those you know, G7 type of committees because what they do is all these cities fight for the right to have the Olympic branding there. And they have to like reach certain criteria and it's a fast way – Fast track to gentrification. Like that's what we saw in Atlanta. Definitely. We, we, they, people talk about the bombing, but like what the real tragedy of that Olympics was the fact that homeless people were, you know, scared out of the city, moved um, out of their encampments. Like it was a way of flushing homeless people out of Atlanta. Um, and a lot of them never returned. But then, you know, on top of it, COVID. So there's absolutely no reason to be doing it now. We, we, we seem to have plenty of the of the vax available for people to get it for us to you know reach that uh a goal of herd immunity but despite having the vaccine despite having the infrastructure it seems like people aren't getting it what, what what's what's going on there kenzo can we all can we just blame it all on conservatives and and the brain worms you know telling them there's 5g telling them that the that spoons are going to start sticking to them like what the fuck is is to blame like why can't we get that i mean it seems like we should we're the greatest country in the history of the world they keep telling me i don't know i'm confused i think um it's kind of uh it's almost too simplistic just to blame the chuds because there was just both sides uh, the the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, I mean, both sides of electoral politics played the pandemic uh, up for the election without ever actually delivering anything for anyone. So it was, you know, Trump doing the bare minimum, um, you know, in the end, giving us bigger checks, but still, you know, really the bare minimum and the, the uh, Democrats playing that up. The Democrats come into power. They give us a little less. They they really don't help us out much at all, but they have all of this beautiful messaging about how they saved us from the pandemic. And, you know, leading up to the election, Kamala Harris said that, you know, in she used more like weasel language, but she said that she would question uh, the uh, the vaccine if it came out while Trump was president. Yeah. And once she like. I mean, that, that was definitely the, the message the Democrats wanted to get out there that like, you know, if for some reason the, the vaccine were to come out before uh, the changing of the guard, then um, 
you they did not want Trump to like be reelected based upon the the vaccine. And that's just um, you know, I know politicians don't have to take any kind of oath uh, just to run for office, but that was just so blatantly bad faith um, and disgusting and despicable. Like we were in a crisis. Donald Trump himself wasn't in a lab coat developing this in a lab. These were real ass doctors. Um, and then to use it like that and to tie it into the election, um, you know, it would have been much more, I think, maybe not effective in winning, but definitely it would have been more truthful for the Democrats to say, you know, look, Trump is screwing up and we're going to do better and then just deliver on that. They knew they, they couldn't do that. So they played politics with the pandemic. And that's what kind of led to confusion on both sides. Like I, um, you know, I have right wing family. All of them are vaccinated and none of them, for the most part, none of them um, trust the vaccine 100 percent. But they want to, uh, you know, they want to see their grandchildren. They want to see their nieces and nephews. And every, you know, the, the younger generation has been saying to them, you know, you have to be vaccinated to see these children again. So they'll still make the jokes about the vaccine being a microchip implanted by Bill Gates and all that, but they still got vaccinated. And with my liberal side of the family, it seems like there was like a little bit of wiggle room. Like we ended up having to pull out of a family party recently because we found out there's going to be some people there who weren't vaccinated and, you know, weren't going to get vaccinated. And they had children there and they were going to play with my child. And these were liberal and hippies you know, to be, to be frank. Um, Oh, and so like, it's just weird to me that like, for me, the right wing family are the ones that are really respectful of, um, you know, our boundaries around, uh, social distancing still. All right. So is it, is it, is it fair to assume they're not so far right? They were, they got, uh, you know, they, they were storming the Capitol with back the blue flags or something. <laughs> no, I mean, these are like my right wing family is military. And like, for example, they didn't they don't love Trump, but they'll vote for him. Um, they don't support QAnon. They don't support the the storming of the um, uh, I was going to say Bastille, but of, you know, Congress. Um, but, you know. They they are right wingers like, you know, they do believe in the military industrial complex, you know, keeping us safe and being, you know, the only acceptable form of socialism. Um, but uh, they all are are vaccinated at this point. Well, let's take a look at numbers. Of Chicago numbers, because we're going to talk next about uh, numbers. But... Oh, you're not a math teacher, right? <laughs> I, I was a music teacher, so I'm good with like fractions and stuff. <laughs> um, so here's some numbers here. I do believe there was a seven day average in Chicago as low as 64 or so. Leading up to the to a couple days when it looked like there were no cases at all. So I'm not even going to count those. I think they weren't testing. But seven day oh, average so is we want the line. We need the line to go back up. <laughs> it's been going down. Hold on, these are new cases. What are you talking? This is the wrong line, Kenzo. Hmm? This is not stonks. Hmm. You want line to go up? <laughs> All right. So new cases was as low as 75. We do not want to go to the moon, to be, to be clear. Uh, and we're as high as uh, 271 new cases. So that's shot up more than 400% in the past 20 days. And this is just a week before Lollapalooza. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know, you've heard of this other thing in, 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 in Dutch, in, in the land of the Dutch at Utrecht, Utrecht, <laughs> How did, where, where, what it's called, but they had, they had a, a, a festival a concert with it wasn't a festival it was a concert to be fair it was 20,000 that that attended and they had uh, oh, wow. similar uh, similar uh, protocols for those that uh, that we have lined up for for Lollapalooza mm -hmm. um proof of full vaccination or a negative test 
uh, which is the pretty much what's required here. Have a negative test within the, the last 72 hours. You present that at the gate. They'll let you in. You don't have a vaccination. You have to wear a mask. That's what they did. 20,000 attended, and then later 1,000 tested positive for COVID. Wow. Yeah, dude, 1,000. So that's 20%. Oh, that's that's not 20%. One, one 20th, right? One 20th. So, if, uh, so more numbers. Those are still not odds that I would risk. Oh, dude, that's a fuck up odds, right? So if, at like, Lollab you know, I'm at a concert and I look around and I'm like, oh, there's 20 of us here. One of us is going to walk out with COVID. Fuck that concert. Dude, fuck that concert, right? <laughs> not for me. I'm not going to pay $130 for a one-day general admission. And drink, you know, $2 beers at home rather than like the $10, $15 festival beers. Dude, grab some Tecate, a bottle of Malort. Throw on a, a playlist with Miley Cyrus, Tyler, the creator, Post Malone, the Foo Fighters. You're getting 90%. That also sucks. The lineup. Yeah, like Lollapalooza, yeah. when it started in the early 90s, was really cool. Like the first Lollapalooza was like Ice Street, Rollins Band, Jane's Addiction, of course. Yeah. It was just, it was very eclectic and interesting. It was like all of these groups that could not get on a festival themselves uh, or like, you know, get a big arena show themselves all came together and people explored things. The Jim Rose Circus Sideshow was a big thing where like, you know, people stuck nails to their dicks and, you know, <laughs> pierced themselves live on stage. Not my thing, but like it was really a subversive time. It was not for kids. And, you know, or yeah, Ice, Ice T played one year um, with Body Count. Um, like it was a very subversive kind of event. And now it's like. It's it's you take the top 100 groups from Spotify and that's Wallapalooza 2021 plus, you know, a good chance of getting COVID. <laughs> I don't want that. No, I'm not going. You, I don't know. You can pay <laughs> me to go there. Instead, you have to pay a lot of money to go. Um, yo, so, and like yeah. the only thing that people aren't thinking of is, OK, so you're in this big field. Mm -hmm. But in years where like Olala had bad rain, everyone has to like everyone like finds um, like shelter under like a booth or something. They're huddled up together. Um, you're there all day. Like it's it's almost like camping, but like you can't cook yourself a meal or anything. You have to buy from the tents and everything. It's it's really fucking dangerous. Oh. If everyone wanted to leave at once, you know, that would be a disaster. 400,000 people. All, yeah. Yeah, right? That's the that's capacity crowd. Like that in more than a year, maybe start smaller and then like ramp up to yeah. Lollapalooza in a year. All right. So let me let me bring back these numbers. Because 400,000 is capacity. They said that's how many they expect. You know? Uh, okay. For first scale, yeah, there are so 400,000 400, kids in Chicago public schools. If every CPS student yeah. attended, could could attend a Lollapalooza. Um, I don't think they'd like the show, dude. <laughs> but if one twentieth, but if one twentieth of, the, of them got sick, like in 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 Utrecht, who twenty thousand kids from the suburbs are going to get sick? Awesome. That's, that's is that spelled like Micah Utrecht? I think so. It has to Maybe. be. That's like the only instance of you tricked. <laughs> Maybe. We can ask about that. Front of the show. Meet the left. Um, mm -hmm. So 120th of 400,000 is 20,000. So I'm thinking about these kids, you know, coming in from all over the country, getting sick on their way in, and then getting mm -hmm. people sick on the way out, dude. Just, oh, just yeah, imagine. Yeah. The Lollapalooza isn't just Chicagoans that go. Like, right. you know, this is people from all over the country, places like Texas that have never masked, um, are probably going to be there. Uh, we're going to find all sorts of interesting strains. Oh, I'm no scientist, but this is not good. Yeah. So I, I think this is how the shit evolves and how we get more variants. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's the Lambda variant. They say it's already in Illinois. Uh, they the, say it's like super. There's a 
the lambda 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 variant that turns you into a nerd. <laughs> All right, that's the first revenge of the nerd uh, reference I think we've had on the show. I love that. It's so problematic. Yeah. You love that. So, movie. I think problematic is an understatement. I think they yeah. leaned into it like they knew it then, I mean, and they just leaned into it. Yeah. Well, then there were no real discussions of con consent. And I also think that there was something to like the fact that the nerds are considered to be so emasculated that when they do fucked up things, people are like, oh, it's funny and cute. But like, you know, if one of the bad guys did something that evil, um, they look differently upon it. But uh, yeah, not a movie they'd make now. That's another show. We could definitely dig Although, into that sometime. Culture, yeah. culture itself is kind of revenge of the nerds. Like, look at the MCU. Like, all movies are fucking oh. Marvel movies now. I think the nerds did win. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, dude. We are winning. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not going to do what they did in that movie. <laughs> no. Well, the show starts. Have, uh, you know, the booger, the shirt that booger were, uh, wore that says high on stress, just because I actually kind of live that life. <laughs> um, looking that shirt up. It's a sweet ringer. Mine is not covered in snot because I bought it after my child uh, was no longer a toddler. <laughs> Remembering. Button. There we go. Yeah. That should. Wow. Wow. Way, way long before uh, Dr. Green mm -hmm. was in uh, ER, which actually was something we, we, that we were starting to rewatch. ER. Mm. Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards, yeah. Um so like this is gonna be a bad, bad thing. Yeah. Um and a lot of people along the way are giving the thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, let it go on. Like who are we gonna string up after this, Kenzo? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's responsible for this? Well, I mean, there's one person that could just put an end to, well, a couple people, yeah. but definitely Lori Lightfoot could just say no Lollapalooza this year um, and, you know, have the agencies that she runs squash it. Um, I mean, the vendors and the and Perry Farrell, I guess, could just do the right thing and not throw it. Um, but I think the only, I mean, the only person that we've elected who could just stop it is Lori Lightfoot. Why doesn't She, well, I think she loves capitalism. Like she's wanted, she's never wanted us to shut down at all. Yeah, Pritzker could too. I don't know if he would um, politically, unless there was some sort of agreement that um, he and Lori could kind of do it together. I don't think he's going to step on her toes much. They said um, he would be there uh, dancing in the crowd. They said he would be in the crowd. There, uh, allegedly. Um, mm -hmm. uh, let's go to a little bit. A little bit of video, maybe, will help us uh, wrap our heads around this. As you know, from the time that it was first announced, we were really pleased to partner with Lollapalooza with their decision uh, to require vaccination or negative tests for attendees. And that certainly adds um, a level of complexity uh, to to uh, the situation. But we want people to have a good time and we want this to be as safe um, as it can be. I think that's a, a little revealing that that statement right there to, for it to be as safe as it can be. Uh, yeah, those so, are so, words. Yeah, sort of, uh, sort of expresses that it must go on. You know, there's no option that it can't yeah. uh, happen. It's like, well, hold on, why isn't it an option? Yeah, cause, I mean, Lollapalooza in the state that it's in right now hasn't existed that long. Like, it's not a Chicago institution. Um, the way like maybe the taste is, even though like you know, no one really cares about the taste much anymore. So it's not like Lollapalooza has to happen. It used to be a touring concert. It wasn't mm -hmm. just, you know, a huge thing in Chicago. And uh, so we can just not have it happen again. You're right. It's, it's ridiculous the way they're, they're talking about it. Okay, here's Lori. 
Pro Streamer. We made the best decision that we could, as always, based upon the data and based upon uh, projections and modeling. Uh, we felt You're shaking your head, Kenzo? Well, she said, like, made the best decision we can, as we always do. They don't. She just does, like, even it, even a good mayor shouldn't be that fucking arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she can at least, I mean, like, I think she's batting, you know, zero. But, you know, she can at least make the argument maybe half the time she's making good decisions. But she's got such big lawyer brain, like, literally, like, big law makes people into these kind of people. We're like, they have no souls. It's just like, I have the power in the situation. Everyone has to bend the knee to me. And she doesn't understand that she's still, even though she won every single award in Chicago, a politician has to continuously be campaigning. And she's not doing that. She's um, exerting her authority. And, um, and that, that's not to say I think that she's going to be easily defeated in the next election. I think there's a lot of apathy and there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, she hasn't uh, screwed things up too much. There, there are people I think that have that mentality. No one seems to really love her, but still the majority of the city has a decent um, impression of her, which is going to be hard to chip away at. Yeah. It, uh, and the, the people are like, well, what's your problem with Mayor Lori Lightfoot? And you're like, ugh. The fucking the bridges, like where do you start, man? I have some liberal family where I kind of like use them as a gauge for this kind of stuff. Yeah, and they're very resigned a lot to the fact that like we're all these are all very big problems we're dealing with, and you have to like when a Democrat is in charge, you should just respect that because <laughs> they're trying their best. And oh my lord! So it's like this this faith this like um unquestionable faith in institutions that i think really like animates liberalism and that's hard um because lightfoot is someone who acts like a tough boss and sometimes people respect that yeah, and they say they say oh well uh yeah, some part of the argument i think in there is like well if they didn't have to deal with so much bullshit. They'd be able to do what they wanted to be able to do. Yeah. And it's like, actually, hold on. That's part of the problem. What they want to do is wrong. Mm -hmm. All right, here's a little bit more video for us to chew on. Very comfortable on June 11th, which was the date fully opening up the city. We had been kind of working towards that point, looking at trends in the data. Um, so, no, I feel like we've made the right decisions, but we're sounding the alarm today because we're starting to see this uptick. Because they're starting to see the uptick. All right. Um, I guess that was maybe a, a couple days ago uh, when that video was taken. I'm not 100% sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we got Lambda. We got the uptick. Uh, it's up 400% in the last uh, 20 days uh, per the numbers that I have available straight from Google. New York Times, I guess. Um. Mayor Lori Lightfoot's got the ability to stop it. Perhaps Pritzker, neither are going to stop it. People got to get paid. People got to get paid. What's the harm in that? Only 20,000 mm -hmm. could possibly get sick. What's the harm in that? Um, and of course, all the people that they infect uh, uh, later down the road. All right. So, uh, I don't know. Clearly, we sort of agree on this. But uh, the question is, what can be done? What What can we do? Should we be throwing a stink should somehow we be organizing is there some sort of dsa uh, uh subgroup that that has I don't, I don't know what do we do honestly i don't think we have the power to stop Lollapalooza. Okay. so the best we can you know i mean this might sound bleak but i think the best we can really do is just not be there uh yeah. continue social distancing i'm going to continue wearing a mask um and yeah like it's this is the symptom of a bigger problem. And yeah. I think what the ruling class wants us to do is to try to fight every single symptom. Um, so we get dejected and tired and just, you know, kind of waste resources. So I wouldn't like protest or organize against Lollapalooza. Um, just not go, um, you know, if there's a live stream, not to pay for it um, and just 
kind of live on, organize around uh, places where I think we do have more power, like, you know, in our workplaces. All right. So we're going to we're going to boycott, divest and sanction Lollapalooza. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully not go. I was I was honestly thinking, would it even be worth someone going down there with a fucking sign being like, hey, lines going up, be fucking safe, make a good choice. Like, who knows how many people could be like at the gate and turn around? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just want to help I bet people. You, it, it, once people get that far, I don't think they're going to turn around. At that point, you're getting your ass beat. And I think, yeah, I know another thing you, you could do is just talk to people in the community, talk to your friends and neighbors about why they shouldn't go. Um, but yeah, I don't think this is something that we really can't stop. Um, it's the type of thing that's just going to sell out of tickets. And if people locally don't go, more people um, out of state are going to be going buying those tickets. All right. Uh, any Either last thoughts? <laughs> I'm so sorry I cut you off there, Kenzo. Last last thing you just there. Oh, I just said neither of those being good. Um, any last thoughts on what's happening here with uh, uh, COVID, uh, uh, with Lollapalooza? We're gonna. I, I still want to talk to you about it. Uh, I, I know personally. I think I mentioned to you as well. I'm gonna start. Uh, putting my mask back on when I go in public, and I think we're going to limit doing things in public again, sort of similar to back when it was you know, uh, uh, more locked down. Um, and that's one of the things that sort of led me to thinking, holy shit, maybe we should shut these bigger, gigantic things down. I'm just one person, and yet they're letting these things go on. It's really, it feels like it's going to make my decisions a wash, further reminding me that you know, my choices as an individual cannot fix the entire fucking system um helps me sleep at night okay one thing so, i think another this, thing you could do though just came to mind is yeah. if you do know musicians that are playing it safe not doing these super spreader events go ahead and buy some of their albums buy a t-shirt support them in some way if they have a gofundme maybe send them some money patreon band camp like actually pay for their band camp um, and that, that's another way of doing it because we don't want smart musicians to like just throw in the towel and have all the dummies playing these super spreader events <laughs> and like just take over the take over the music industry even more than they already have. There you go. Support your uh, support your friends and music who uh, who need the support. Out to them. Send them a pizza. Mm. Musicians love pizza. Here. <laughs> Universal facts. Kenzo, you're a teacher. You're a full-time teacher. Uh, little known fact that some people don't know is we taught at the same high school uh, at a different time, though. And mm -hmm. um, and uh, in, in the Chicago Public Schools, you're a full-time high school um, social studies teacher. I'm so sorry. Social studies and English. Studies and Where they English. Wherever they need me. I how it goes, right? Um, mm hmm what do you think about heading back to schools, especially as this line's going back up? Um, there are kids that don't have the vaccine. The, there's no vaccine for the kids yet, right? Um, there are increasing amount of adults that don't have the vaccine, even reasonable people that you think should have the vaccine. There's like, there's like nurses who like refuse mm -hmm. to get the vaccine. And at this point, you're like, who the fuck does understand science enough? Like makes you nervous going to a fucking hospital dude because people there don't believe science or they don't understand it enough to take it seriously um anyways uh fuck right and that's just a hospital what about a school you're going back to schools what are your thoughts on heading back to school well the ctus and negotiation over safe reopening again this is just exhausting um and we got some good concessions one of them the board wanted there to be zero mask mandate they're already saying they can't they're not requiring teachers or students to be vaccinated, um, even if, you know, the, the students are old enough to get the vaccine. Um, but they, it, this is the thing that's kind of just unbelievable. Like, you know, in in, uh, in in the contract negotiations, both sides have to start with kind of an unreasonable stance and then you work your way to the middle. But the Board of Education's unreasonable stance they started with was zero masks, zero mask mandates. And five days in-person schooling. So we'll have – oh, another another one is uh, three feet distancing if uh, if available, if possible. 
So we're probably still going to have big class sizes. And on top of it, they're going to say no masks. Well, we got one concession, which is there's going to be a requirement for masks um, for indoors. And that's that's great. Everybody um, in the building. Yeah, I think that we should do a one more. Some we should do a semester remote until the elementary school kids can all get vaccinated. That's my thought on it. Um, the way the board has pushed things so far um, to doing very, you know, to doing the bare minimum, that's not that's not that's never going to happen. You know, we would have to like really roll them back, um, and they they obviously don't want that. Uh, another really despicable thing, though, is that everyone who is in charge in the CPS to push for in-person schooling no longer works for the board. Janice Jackson, chief ed officer, she's now working for a foundation. Um, her uh, second in command, um, Latanya McDade, she's now a superintendent in a smaller district. Um, they all cashed out and like made their money. But yet we are left in negotiations at where they left things like it, that doesn't like, you know, you can't just run a clean slate at this point. So we're negotiating from this unreasonable place, which is, you know, they want basically no mandate, no PPE, no anything. Um, and we're we're fighting to get any kind of safety. So I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know if it's going to be safe. Certainly what the board wants us to do is not safe at all. Um, so we'll see where we land. And, you know, it's scary because they also shortened our summer this year, um, which they're going to make up for next summer. But at the same time, that's this was not the year to do that, in my opinion. Uh, so one week um, shortened. So we're going to start school pretty soon. And I don't feel like we have good clarity on what it's going to look like. So I don't know how safe it's going to be. I don't. I don't know how safe it's going to be. Um, and and I, I would say, like, I, I I was nervous before hearing about these other variants. You know? mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh no, oh no. Um, one question is, what could teachers do where they're they do have schools opening and they don't have things like mask mandates? Like, get well, their get their union to organize or what? Yeah. Um, you know, the union should be on top of all that. Um, uh -oh. so yeah, you have to get organized around it. This is something that has, has to be negotiated. Um, in fact, Chicago actually has the gold standard of reopening. Um, you know, in the, in the first agreement that we had, uh, when we first, when the schools first reopened, um, which like, a, it's, it, which is adequate it was not um what we deserved and it was not right. optimal safety um you know but like saying that it was better than any other city had been able to negotiate um which is sad because like usually that once like someone like sets the bar then it's hard to get more than that um but uh we got a pretty good package compared to other districts we we should have stayed distance for the entire school year last year in my opinion but that didn't happen um so yeah if you have a union that's not doing much i would say you know find some other members of the union that feel the way you do organize them um and then start causing a little trouble for your union leaders as well trouble things like um i mean in, in a small town if you can get a dozen people to show up to a school board meeting and talk about uh unsafe conditions um with an audience of school board members and parents community organizers that could do a lot um you know 20 to 30 people um showing up to a school board meeting in a bigger city because people don't really get involved so much so if you can get even a small group together, uh, you can show some power. As far as like an internal union thing, you know, you can get a dozen people to show up to the union office. Not to say, you know, hey, buddy, you're not 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 to like get in their face, but to say, let's have a conversation here. Um, if you could show union leaders that you're a, a credible political threat, they might cave into some of your demands or they might just fight you and you're going to have to run against them. That happens sometimes, too. But 
Um, yeah, in, internally in the union, um, th there's fights to be had there, too. Uh, one of the very unfortunate things is the United Federation of Teachers, which is the New York local of the AFT, holds almost all the power. They pulled almost all the political power as far as the direction of uh, teachers unions. Even though the uh, National Education Association is bigger, the AFT just is really good at wielding power in D.C., and so they set the standards. And AFT and UFT is like you know the same kind of leadership. Um, and the UFT always rolls on you know rolls on their back. They don't they don't believe in fighting the boss. So what you get are crappy contracts there, and then that is considered like a gold standard contract. And then we get crappy contracts elsewhere. So um, if you are bucking uh your like old guard leadership there's fights on your hand because the national probably your state federation wants to keep things as they are um so just yeah be on your guard uh, understand the lay of the land understand the politics uh but come in I, you know I, the way i came into union politics was just being kind of clear-eyed and pure of heart and like not getting bogged down in a lot of the internal shit and just saying well we're going to fight for this and if I can't find union, you know, usual suspects of the union activists and leadership to get involved, I'll find other union activists. And once you form a, like a what could be considered a voting block of people, that's when leaders start to like either respect you, hate you or some combination of the two. And uh, if, if they hate you, it's probably a good reason for it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it could be because... Uh because you're you're respectable or or they try to buy you off so, oh yeah yeah all right and if you're if you could play your cards right you can be bought off and still not sell out but those are stories for another time <laughs> all right um so kenzo let me ask um you're not going to run for governor. Are you? Are you seriously considering um, something else? So, Another office. Once my kids in college, I consider running for um, something municipal. So, like, if um, yeah, my my kid's going to be in college in about ten years. Um, so let's give it twelve. You know, to get get him situated and and you know make sure that he stays on the dean's list um for a little while um so yeah maybe in 12 years i'd run um if matt martin is still the alderman in my ward the 47th ward i will not run against him unless he sells out but i will not run against him because i really like him um maybe county commissioner cook county commissioner uh maybe alderman if you know if, if he leaves but uh yeah i'm not I would not leave Chicago. I just, you know, this is where all my people are. This is where I've made my political bones. So um, I just feel like I'm at more of an advantage here. Plus, I just love the city. I don't want to schlep to Springfield all the time or even worse, D.C. all the time. So if I were to ever run, it would be something local. What does, a, what does the commissioner do? So, like... They make decisions on things like county county level taxes. Um, they negotiate with um, county unions, like uh, when the county hospitals. I keep saying county, county, county uh, hospitals, jails. Um, like Alan is saying, um, you know, we'll negotiate with. Oh, well, like I'm already in office. They'll negotiate with. You know, ask me. Um, and, you know, any kind of like fees that are county level, they take care of. But, you know, it's a political office where if you use it as an organizing space, you can be organizing um, on the county level uh, or at least, you know, the region of Cook County um, as opposed to, you know, just your ward or whatever. Like if I were to ever run for office, I'd be using my office as an organizing space, the way like uh, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez does, the way Carlos Rodriguez, do, uh, Carlos uh, Rosa does, um, the way that, you know, all of these really awesome Chicago aldermen are doing where like, you know, they're doing mutual aid out of their offices. They're, you know, using their that space 
to its full political potential, not just for electoral politics. Um, and I also would want to have a good and I'm, I'll use the word machine. I'd want a machine to make sure that all of my constituents are taken care of, not in a patronage way, but like, you know, you want to make sure that potholes are um, are filled. And, you know, I live in Rahm Emanuel's neighborhood and we are we have potholes on my his road doesn't have potholes. Mine does. Um, so, I, you know, that the thing about constituent services was I know the um, chief of staff from Kashama Sawant, the city councilor in Seattle. And after she had won, I had a conversation with him and he was telling me that one of the big problems they had with moving an agenda was that they were very intentional about responding to constituent services. And they were so uh, responsive compared to every other city councilor that people from other regions of Seattle were calling their office and making appointments with Sawant to take care of you know potholes where they are because they knew they'd actually get a call back or an email back. Um, that's the kind of attention that I'd I'd want to do. Um, so, you know that that's why like organizing I think never really stops. You know, being in political spaces, building influence with people, because you know I'm not looking to run for office, maybe never. But I'm definitely not going to be running for office in the near future. But political relationships I'm building now, if I should change my mind as, you know, I'm a little older or after I retire, you know, those are things I can always come back to. Like, um, you know, a lot of people that are new to politics think that everything is going to be very quick. Like, you know, you want to run for state senator. So you're going to, you know, join all the right local uh, business clubs or, you know, you know, you're going to be good with the union and, you know, do all the right steps, get a job with another uh, elected leader, run for office and then win. And if you don't win, go to the private sector. That's the way a lot of people's uh, political tra trajectories are. Um, but politics, a lot of, you know, what, what it could really break down to is the relationships you have in your neighborhood. You know, like I like using my wife as an example because she's very good at using soft power. Like she's very charming and she really cares about people and really listens to them. So um, she's on the local school council for our kids' school in our neighborhood, but she's always used as an organizing space, organizing parents, students, teachers around what's important to the school. Like she was organizing the, uh, the strike, the support for the strike lines when we went on strike a couple of years ago. Um, she, we walk down the neighborhood and people stop her all the time and like, oh, hey, everyone knows her. Um, that's politics. And she never she's never going to run for like a paid office. She was on the local school council. She is on the local school council, unpaid position, no real um, ladders for higher office there. Um, but she does wield quite a bit of power in in our neighborhood. In fact, a Binnie's was going to open up right across the street from our school, which is a big box liquor store. And, um, it would do a couple of things. One of the things it would do is it would, uh, decrease the amount of people applying to get into our school because no one wants to be the school across from the liquor store. And it would close the local liquor store, that small business that's been here for like decades. And, you know, Aaron, was really smart about it because she's like, well, we need a soccer field. So if you're going to decrease the value of our school by opening up a big liquor store here, you're going to have to increase it by building us a soccer field. Because what that's going to do is it's going to attract students back into the school. And it's like, we become whole again. And they said, Benny said something like, uh, we'll contribute a hundred thousand dollars to a soccer field. Well, a new soccer field is like a million dollar project. And so she's like, no, no, because we're not going to raise $900,000. So she organized a bunch of community <laughs> meetings about this with the audience of the aldermen um, to debate the issue. And it was open to any, anyone on any side, almost everyone except for the lobbyists that worked for Binnie's was against this. And so it didn't open. And this was my wife, who's on the local school council, which is a small office, um, no real prestige there. And she was able to push it because she always used that office as an organizing space. And like, you know, that's the type of work that I'd be doing if I ever did um, inhabit an elected office.
Amazing. Rats on the soccer field. Um, oh, we dis- never got the soccer field. Oh, right. <laughs> but they didn't get but, their binnies. Exactly. You preserved the neighborhood. Uh, uh, yeah, and then we got the little liquor store. Exactly, you get to keep that. All and the old things. man that worked at that liquor store, every time I'd go in there to buy a six-pack, he'd give my kid candy. You know, nice. little, little nice things in the neighborhood. See? Don't get that from Benny's. I don't no. give a shit who you are. Here. All right. We finally got the graphics department uh, to work on the uh, graphic there on the bottom. We'll, we'll work on something more more Chicago. Be a red star or two. Nice. Fair enough. All right, Kenzo. What else? Uh, I, I wanted to ask about uh, about DSA and... Uh, Something I I, 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 only, I only heard about as a sort of a dues-paying member of DSA. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. And then I started to realize, oh shit, should I have been at that meeting? Is Was it a general chapter meeting uh, that didn't reach quorum? And so y'all yeah. weren't able to have the meeting? And Okay, so it's just a general chapter meeting. What is the case with that? How many people need to be at the meeting for it to reach quorum? It's it's a percentage of membership that's escaping okay. me. I want to say it's something like ten percent, something like okay, that. Because so, uh, we we have a big chapter now. Uh, uh, we're at close to four thousand, so that's becoming difficult. Um, you know, the thing with DSA is, and this is a good and a bad thing, is the fact there's such a low barrier for uh, membership. You just pay your fee and then you're there, um, and that's good because it means people are comfortable saying, hey, I'm a card-carrying socialist. I think that's progress. But the problem is then we get like these bigger, uh, you know, we have more and more members, but not necessarily members that are engaged um, and showing up to meetings. Um, so then, then, you know, I feel like this is something that every few years we have to fight to get quorum. Um, one of the issues I think with this past meeting was, um, you know, people are really bummed out from trying to organize during this pandemic we haven't had like a good national campaign like uh since bernie um and a lot of the organizing we've been doing has had to be very uh like reactionary or not reactionary but reactive like mutual aid like just keeping people's heads above water during the pandemic and you know these were chapter uh elections for officers that came up and, you know, people um, there were some people that ran unopposed because just people were are burnt out. Um, There's a big changing of the guard of leadership, I think, because of that. And um, it was just kind of a bummer of a meeting. And I think people kind of know that going into it and kind of know that we don't have the energy around something like Bernie. Like, to be honest, in except for the, the period when, you know, we were organizing around Bernie, we were, we were, we were making quorum, but it was like last minute texting people to show up to meetings. Like it was by the skin of our teeth, this meeting without like a big, uh, campaign, I think to rally around, um, people just weren't kind of, uh, tuned in. So I, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing that the meeting wasn't did, you know, wasn't an official meeting because it didn't make quorum, um, so yeah, I think, I think we're still in rebuilding right now. Rebuilding, um, uh, get, getting more people involved, getting more people to realize, oh shit, we need to reach quorum. We need to show up to these, to these meetings. I'm literally going, oh shit. <laughs> like today I'm like, oh, I'm one of those people. Maybe I should start showing up. When are the meetings? Uh, you'll have to look at the website because those big general meetings are quarterly. Okay. I believe so. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when the next one is. All right, so I'll I'll try to make then, sure like, I'm there. There's always a, a meeting though. There's like either a working group, um, or some sort of committee. I just feel like every night there's there's some sort of meeting um you could jump into. For sure, yeah. Um, I just sort of feel like I don't want to be the reason. Uh, is there a way? <laughs> Okay. Is there a way for someone like me who's like not sure I want to, uh, uh, you know, I want to be like a part of it. I, I you know, I want to support it, but um, I don't necessarily want to be the reason that that you know quorum's not met. 
Uh, is there a way to just donate money to the place? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can always just donate money to DSA. It would be easier for them to do it monthly. Okay. Um, that up. Yeah, good to know. I might actually do that. Who knows, right? Um, or I'll get a, or I'll try to figure out a, a way to get more engaged. Um, Alan says th uh, they think people are afraid, afraid of the roles being huge because they only know the super activists rather than people who do background labor in a narrow lane. Be part of it. Hmm. Um, for one, I was I, I I went to a quarterly meeting and I was really put off. I did not like it at all. I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> um, and I'm not mad at the organization as a whole. I could just sort of go, okay, well, this is made for people whose you know brains work on a different level than mine uh, and, and who are really uh, able to you know, engage and put in the time. Uh, at the same time, I know there are other, um, other uh, sort of uh, groups that they have within the organization that I should probably explore and, and see what else they have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. General, general meetings aren't the best place to jump in because that's when people uh, typically like, you know, different sets of people have different agendas. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but like, you know, they're pushing a policy to go one way or an endorsement to go one way or another way. And um, yeah, a lot of context is missing, but really like working groups and committees are a good place to start because that's where you find the work to do. And from there, then you can kind of understand the context of what's happening in the big general meetings. But like you can not go to general meetings, to be honest, um, not pay attention to national and still there's plenty of work to do in DSA. Um, in fact, paying you know not paying attention when you're brand new, you should probably not pay attention to national for like a year. Good to know, because it doesn't I, really impact your work at all. Um, there's some cool work that the national is doing. I'm not trying to downplay it, but like especially if you're following the stuff on social media, it just looks like f constant fighting, and that isn't it. Like you know, the vast majority of DSA members are not on Twitter or on social media at all. So sometimes people don't have even know what's going on. Um, you know, a lot of local activists in DSA I know don't understand the caucus system at all. Don't, and that's fine. They never have to learn it. You can just go in and do the work, um, and you know, have uh, you know a good time meeting new comrades. All right, Kenzo, uh, this is the bearded Chicago in caucus. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Uh, Kenzo, go Love ahead that. and give your. Give yourself the big shout out. Uh, what do you do? Oh, right. Where can people find you doing? I think we forgot to do that, uh, do that at the top. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I uh, stream with Dan every Sunday over at twitch.tv slash class time from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, it's the show Meet the Left, where we have a panel of three leftists uh, of any kind of stripe, any kind of um, discipline or ideology. Uh, we have a lot of uh, writers, comics, organizers on. It's an eclectic bunch. Sometimes we'll accidentally book three three comedians on, and you just laugh the whole time. Or we'll uh, have on three real heavy duty thinkers, and uh, yeah, hurt your brain a little bit, but have fun in the process. Um, and this particular Sunday, we actually this is going to be a good one too. If you want to learn about what's going to be going on at the DSA convention, because we have two candidates for national political committee and in, in the DSA that'll be running during this convention coming up, uh, Laura Gabby, uh, DSA and Austin Gonzalez, uh, from Richmond DSA. And he's already on the national political committee. Um, they're running on different slates too. So this should be interesting. Um, I did check in with both of them. Like, is it okay? Do you want to, you know, be on a panel with, uh, <laughs> somewhat of a political opponent? And they're like, yeah, it's cool. They're both super nice people, super good faith, uh, debate, you know, uh, political people. Uh, and of course, Amy C3, we all know from Twitch. Um, very excited to talk to her. So, um, yeah, I made this little graphic here. Um, Austin's kind of the international, um, politics guy. Laura is labor. Um, she's a carpenter. She's, she's a union carpenter, um, for I think about 10 years or so. She's, she's been in the field a long time. Um, and then Amy is um, an expert in housing. So I think we can look at the intersections there. Um, yeah, we do that every Sunday. I also twi uh, stream occasionally at uh, twitch.tv slash class time. Um, now that I'm 
reset up my uh, streaming room. I think there'll be more of that to come, and it's summer. Um, and we just to chill, vibe, talk politics. And uh, what else did I want to mention? Yeah, that's really it. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, Dan just put my Twitter in the chat. Uh, that Twitter account is banned for three more days. So if it's a little quiet, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I got a 12 hour yesterday. Oof. <laughs> this is my first week. I got a 12. What did you get oh. there? Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it on stream. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Kenzo. A lot of fun. Uh, I suppose we'll call that the first episode of the Chicago Boys. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, Milton Friedman, uh, uh, eat your heart out. He's rolling. He's rolling <laughs> in his grave right now. He's riding uh, in piss right now. We're using the Chicago Boys name in vain, and uh, and that's for good. <laughs> All right, Kenzo. We invited you in the spirit of building left units, uh, left unity, strength, and power. You're amazing. You're great. Always fun to chat with you. Uh, we'll have to grab a beer sometime. We still haven't have Absolutely. yet to do that. Uh, well, actually, it's going to get harder to do so. Son of a bitch. We'll figure it out. Hanzo, <laughs> be good to yourself. Uh, be good right, to each other. Dan. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Right, take Solidarity. care, man. Peace. That's supposed to happen. That's okay. Folks, that was Kenzo She motherfucking Bada. Hey, listener, you just heard an episode of Leftist and Chill, the show you never knew you didn't need but still can't live without, the podcast version. Content like this is only made with the support of listeners like yourself. Please support at patreon.com slash idansimpson today.